0: Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favorite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report.
1: Welcome to the Market Report, What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 17th of June 2019. Uh, Welcome back, listeners. Last week, we predicted or we suggested that we felt there was more to the market, if you like, bad news on crop production than the obvious it's raining and the market's going to go down. Now there's some fairly hefty bearish reports written by um, some of the biggest ultimate consumers And, and a number of farmers did sell last week. It started to rain and it started to put oh we're going to have a big crop here when you need to do something with it and these prices are quite good bearing in mind the the market had rallied 20 pounds and dropped 10 you were still looking at values of 150 odd pounds a tonne at some point during the season for feed wheat so there was definitely farmer selling pressure and a little bit of nudging from one or two of the, the the merchants as i say our report kind of suggested that yes you need to look at the UK crop size yes you need to actually consider these are above budget prices and therefore profitable but we felt that the corn development was was way behind Um, we didn't know what the latest uh, plantings report was going to say when we when we recorded it and it proved to be although there was another 16 or 17 percent put in the ground the condition of the crop is is not looking particularly special and now there's been a fresh weather forecast come out in the last couple of days that highlights a very wet program ahead for the for the, the midwest so that corn isn't going to get any any further forward and on top of that it's quite cool in temperature out there whereas last year when it was planted late not as late as this year but but still late. It got fabulous growing conditions immediately afterwards, and it was very warm, and it raced through the growth stages, and it kind of caught up. It ain't going to catch up this year, and and I would be as bold as I dare to say this is a major event on the corn. It is going to be, you know, the, the USDA report came out on Tuesday and dropped corn production by 24 million tons in the year for the U.S., Now, they don't do things like that lightly. They are renowned for being very cautious on their bearish news. So I think that's a very clear sign that things over there are are in poor condition. And albeit they've been possibly brave on their first statement, I do not see that crop getting bigger. I see it getting smaller, especially with now the forecast we have in front of our eyes. If that's the case, the US markets are going to remain underpinned to steady. And if anything, if they get another reason to go up, It's going to continue in this weather market mentality and go up really aggressively. So I think we have to, before the European harvest starts, we have to hold on to our hats, if you like. Don't rush into trading because it's that is going to lead us to to a better price, I think. Obviously, when the European harvest starts, then there will be physical grain on the market and the market will come under pressure. But uh, that gives us four or five weeks. So with that preamble out of the way, um, values for old crop grain, feed barley, 120. If you have any left, it's going to be new crop harvest any second. So that's kind of the same price as new crop, 120x for harvest. Uh, We've got no feeling either way on it. Uh, There will be some export, we hope. Um, We can't make our minds up whether to put it in store or shove it on a boat. And we're we're kind of flipping a coin on that at the moment. Um, My instinct says that it's very, very cheap against wheat. So, it shouldn't be as low as it is, so it might be a good thing to hold. But why, if no one's going to buy it, and if after October we don't have any export? Moving on to oilseed rape, it's 310 for harvest movement. There's nothing old crop we want to do or talk about, so 310 harvest is its value still. We've touched on all of the reasons why it's sitting there. We still feel friendly to that market. I suppose there could be some harvest pressure, but I. It. I think there's less acres, and I think the number of people who need to buy it are plentiful, so I, d- I don't see it being the old harvest pressure that we've seen in, in the past. Feed wheat's got vaguely interesting um, if you're a bit of an anorak feed wheat watcher um, on old crop. The interesting bit is that the futures on July traded at 148 and they've been offered for quite a long time. That kind of puts a stop on the slide, if you like. There's been an awfully large amount of wheat hanging around, and there still is. June is oversupplied. But July is also going to take the carryover from June, so there's enough if it's a normal harvest. But without doubt, this cooler, damper weather that we're having now is pushing harvesting back. So we won't be getting July feed wheat in Norfolk this year, which for the last two or three seasons we have had. Therefore... The, the very tail end of July and the first week of August could be a little bit difficult to find wheat. So I would just say, depending on what your storage ca- capacity or facilities are, there might be a bit of a game to be played at the very end of the season as we wait for harvest to come and the mills still need to have grain going in to keep things going. So the slide on that one I think has stopped unless you need immediate movement and bluntly you can't really sell June wheat at the moment so it's, it really is a July game. Value, 145x for July token value. I just don't see it going lower than that. And new crop, you can sell at 146x for November. So there's no real downside to it. If you decided, oh, I can't be bothered, I'll just leave it there, and you're comfortable that it's dry and, and in good condition. The key benefit to the old crop wheat in the back of the shed, it was the first tough cut, and it's really, really good quality grain. And as we go into a harvest, it's got lots of issues with wet, and allegedly less fungicide used, and everyone's saving threepence because they believe their agronomists had ripped them off. They're beginning to regret the less uh, straw shortening, one or two cases as crops have gone down, and there is a, is a greater problem with with uh, various funguses in the in the ear. So you have a pristine crop of fantastic quality, low mycotoxin grain that the millers might be very, very keen to to get their hands on as they start a new season. So there is a kind of reason to think about possibly keeping that last bit if it doesn't, you know, incapacitate you with your harvest movement. OK, I think that's uh, that's enough running on about the market report. I, I, I think next week we will be talking about the same prices or better, so have a lovely week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: This morning, I've got with me Tom Dye, who farms in several counties. Tom, good morning. Morning, Andrew. So, you work for Wise Farming Limited. That's right. Talk me through it. What do you actually do?
2: Okay, so my job role is as MD of Wise Farming Limited. Um, We're a wholly owned subsidiary of Albumwise Limited, which is a land and property owning business based in the UK. My role and the rest of the board's role is to provide two sort of functions to our principal shareholder and third-party farms we also farm for the first one is sort of long-term strategic direction mm-hmm. and uh, sort of marketing and commercial strategy and the second one is to provide the labor and machinery for the day-to-day farming operations which uh, are undertaken through various contract farming agreements okay i mean and the word profitably adds to
1: both the end of both sentences does it? it's a prerequisite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's so for sure Number one profitability, <laughs> as well as or including or incorporating those things,
2: it's that grand balance of the hundred-year timeline uh, and yeah. investment in the infrastructure and landscape enhancement and all those nice floristic things, uh, which are very important to our owners, uh, as well as yeah, annual profitability.
1: So you farm in the, the debate between God's Own County, don't you? The, which one is which one is the winner, Tom?
2: <laughs> well, I am Norfolk born and bred. So uh, my, my natural leaning is towards Norfolk, but we do have uh, land interests in Yorkshire as well. Yorkshire. Uh, mm. Yorkshire is very interesting. Um, so we're a 50-50 split between the land we farm in both, in both mm-hmm. counties. Yorkshire I have to say certainly North Yorkshire is our most productive unit it's mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic I do enjoy my time up there it's a shame we have to drive through the uh, third god zone which is uh, Lincolnshire <laughs> um, but um, you never know it's the
1: Lincolnshire listeners yeah
2: <laughs> who are some of them are having a pretty tough time so I should say thoughts to uh, certainly East Lincolnshire growers at the moment who've had well it's there's stuff gone flat Yeah, they've had 200 mil of rain in the last week, and it's horrific there at the moment.
1: Let's just quickly touch that. Is it it flat up north?
2: No, no, we've had some very good conditions in Yorkshire. They've had 40, 42 mil of rain in the last seven days, which is perfect. Um, They now need sunshine, and they'll see themselves right the way through to harvest, and prospects look good. And down here? Uh, Anywhere between, well, 90 in North Norfolk, which Mm -hmm. has been damaging to our winter barley, Mm -hmm. but generally we've got away with it, and 70 in West Norfolk, which is... Ideal and very little crop damage.
1: The land over at Barton is, is is strong, strong old stuff. Whereas up up the north of the county, it's a
2: little. We've got a com- complete range. I mean, Barton Bendish starts in the east east part of the farm with some light land over chalk, so mm-hmm. some decent-ish light land through to yeah, some pretty heavy stuff. Um, we're trying to farm it in a lighter way so we can broaden what crops we grow on that those types of soils much more spring cropping different cultivation techniques mm-hmm. got a bit of blackgrass which we've got declared a zero tolerance policy on
1: just actually being a bit of a you know grain trader sitting at the desk zero tolerance blackgrass policy what's that
2: mean it means that our farm management team have agreed that we will hand over the farms to the next generation in a better state than we found them and that means a whole load of things but blackgrass is one of UK's major issues at the moment yeah and we want to invest in and have the right policies in place to make sure that we can reduce the populations of black grass over time. It's a big yield robber. Uh, with is it, is it a secret?
1: Have you got your own secret? No, absolutely not. So what are you going to get? Graze it for 10 years with a, with a herd of cattle? And...
2: Well, I think the, the the first principle is all option, options are on the table. Mm-hmm. You, know, you should never write anything off. Rotation is key. Drilling mm-hmm. date is key, mm-hmm. particularly for autumn crops. So the later, the better. Control doesn't come out of a can anymore. Pre-emergent herbicides you can stack in a certain way that will be very useful mm-hmm. and will help, but it's about cultural techniques. And finally, it's about hand roguing. You know, we use a lot of hand roguing and spend a bit of money on hand roguing. And that's not new. There are other growers doing that.
1: No, that isn't new, but it isn't discussed that readily, and it isn't that readily done, is it? People no. can't actually be bothered to do that, Jen, for a long period of
2: time. We, we seem to have cultured gone away from one or two different things. I mean, when I first came to a farm late 90s as a student, you know, what my first job was hand-rogging wild oats, weed, beet, whatever it may be. Absolutely.
1: I, I, I had a summer job in 1977, before most of you lot were born, pulling oats.
2: Yeah, and the same now it should be true of, of, of black grass. And we've just got to, as an industry, I think, just look at all the ways we can get to the best outcomes. Uh, and it doesn't happen out of a can, necessarily, or a bag of fertiliser.
1: No, that's great. I'm really impressed with that. Because, because people have been spraying patches with black grass and the cereals off just before harvest, haven't they? Which is yeah, just yeah. kind of getting it wrong.
2: I still don't think that's an admission of defeat. I think it's an admission that what you've tried hasn't necessarily worked and you've just got to readjust your policy going forward. And we've we've sprayed areas out. Um, four hectares has been sprayed out in East Yorkshire, probably a similar area in West Norfolk. But that's the point of last resort. You know, you've spent all the money and you've, you should still always be prepared to do the right thing for that blackgrass uh, control. So it, it's still a valid option, but it's the last resort.
1: Right, let's, <coughs> I'll ask you another, another leading question. Sugar beet.
2: Mm. <laughs> What are my pet subjects at the moment? Uh, we've invested in the crop. We've just invested in drilling technology. We want the crop to be successful. We can grow some decent yields. Our joint collective CTE is 64,000 tonnes across three of our farms. So it's a really, really important crop for us. CTE? Contract tonnage entitlement. So quota Yeah. In, 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 old, in old language. Uh, however, there are price negot- negotiations going on behind the scenes at the moment. And I've made my point pretty clear that the price cannot head much further south than it is now. And I've heard some horror prices uh, talked mm. about. And, it's it's um, a talk, isn't it? It is, it is. And in my mind, psychologically, and for our business, we're prepared to walk away. Um, that's a really easy thing to say, not quite such an easy thing to do because there are mm. no ready-made solutions to what we're going to do with that hectare.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that that is going to be... A lot of, there's a lot of talk, oh, I can't grow it at that. But what the hell do you do when you need to increase rotations? It's There's, there's the value of that on the black grass front that uh, uh, we yep. were just talking about. And, it, you know, it is a valuable rotational crop. So you, by the time the decision is made, is it going to be too late? Or can you, what can you switch to? What, what would happen?
2: I think short term we might have to, let's, let's assume the scenario is that, that we don't deem the profitability of that crop to be sustainable within our rotation. There will be some short term Uh, alternatives that we will take which might not be good long-term for the rotation bearing in mind our rotation is sacrosanct and it has to be agronomically and scientifically the right thing for for the long-term future of the land and soil health Mm. Um, but we're talking to one or two people about a number of different things that we could do going forward uh, on a reasonably large scale and we're open-minded so referring to black grass control and grass lays and livestock the integration of livestock in our rotations across all four farms has been a big move over the last two or three years Mm. fundamentally based on the principle we want everything out the back end of whatever the livestock may be but actually integrating a a, a livestock enterprise within our rotations to assist in a number of areas but fundamentally it would have to be profitable in itself is something we're very open-minded to
1: yeah i mean it's we're going back aren't we Uh,
2: good farming is was always good farming and it still will be good farming Mm.
1: But it is, it is going back, and it, the, yep. the, the irony of that is we have had the era of the farming out of a can. Yes. And the, the all-powerful agronomist is possibly beginning to lose his power, do
2: you think? Well, I think it, the agronomy sector needs to adapt and evolve uh, and, add, and be looking to add value as its number one priority to farming estates. The, the model of agronomic and product supply in the UK needs to change and evolve. I, I have some concerns with it mm. uh, as a model. We're potentially looking at our own technical in-house team going forward, but you know there's a bit of water to go under the bridge before we commit to that, um, because I want people who work for our bottom line fundamentally.
1: Well, you're only going to do that. in, in I mean, you've mentioned your team, and before we we turned the mics on, we were talking about people, staff training as 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 the key. You know that, that if if the people are within your team I can do the agronomic aspect. You know, it's, let's, let's talk about that training. Let's talk about getting people that are up to spec who work for you as opposed to work for the big chemical companies. Yeah. How, how do you go about training? What's your views on it?
2: Well, people are the number one uh, greatest asset of any business, in in my view, Um Okay, asset value is going to be soils and land, but uh, the deliverers of strategy, the deliverers of the best results we can possibly achieve are our people. So so firstly, the recruitment of people is key. When we have to recruit people, it's important we get best in class. But then it's equally important to look after them. And it's not about money. Money is one aspect of a whole range of things that you have to do correctly to look after your staff. Mm. It's my number one priority, making sure that we have relatively content, happy people working in our business who are as highly skilled and specialised as they need to be, who are motivated to achieve the best results possible, and who can have some creativity and feel like they're adding value to to the business as a whole.
1: So are you going to the universities and trying to pick the cream of the crop, or have you got enough people at the moment, you're waiting for a gap to come, and then you go and look for the cream of the crop? How does it work?
2: It's a real chicken and egg dilemma with agriculture generally. We struggle to know which to do first. We, we do have a management trainee scheme within the business. Uh, we'll be bringing our second management trainee into the business beginning of 2020. My, my concern is, uh, is not management level because universities in general, this is generalisation, are doing a good job of producing some pretty decent people and there is enough of those people that we can attract. We do work hard to try and make ourselves an attractive employer that's the first priority of anybody that wants mm-hmm. to employ staff at operative level is is where uh, i think there's some concern the local colleges eastern and otley i know they're going through a pretty tough transition at the moment mm-hmm. which is a real shame but that's their core business in my view and that core business has been detracted from in the last generation so it's going to take a bit of shifting back but you know are tractor drivers and operators of the future and actually will they be tractor drivers will they be guys that are driving around in vehicles Placing robots out in the fields in the future. Mm. So, those skill sets have got to evolve.
1: Right, Tom, you you don't just farm, do you? Because you, you actually manage, you run and manage a grain store, don't you?
2: Yes, we do. Yeah, uh, we've got a 60,000 ton independent and commercial grain store in North Yorkshire. Is it like falling off a log,
1: manifold rope? It's difficult. The you don't, you don't make a fortune out of that twelve ton clear up load the farmer brought in at fifteen point one moisture that you put a drying
2: charge on. No, we, we, we certainly don't. We certainly don't. Um and it's very much about adding uh service value to to that ton of grain that a farmer or a merchant or or an end user is delivering to your site to look after until point of use. I think if uh the provider of storage uh, or the, the requirer of storage space were to look at the options in terms of what it's going to cost them to store their grain. Should or build a, build a dryer, to, even. Well, <laughs> b- build a dryer, build a store. Train the staff. Uh, on farm, exactly. Look after the stuff. Take the risk, health and safety, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, It's the big issues, and they come with cost. It costs something. It's not a free service. Nope. Bugs, are,
1: bugs appear every year, whether you like it or not, don't they? A- no matter what you do, you, not in every lot, you, you work really hard at it, but somewhere there's a leak, somewhere there's something, and at the end of the year, that's that's a very big gassing bill, and you can't be away from it, and and everyone just passes that responsibility across and then tells you you're charging them too much for the pleasure. Yeah. I'm really getting it out today, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Martin, I'm hijacking, I'm hijacking. <laughs> Ah, Tom, I'll have to interrupt here because uh, Webby's just joined us. I think he smelt the beer about to be opened. So, so for the first time, you're going to be uh, you're going to be joining us with farm chat. Are You happy with that? Yeah, this is absolutely the bit I came for. Morning, Ian. Morning. Who's going to read up? You can do this, Tom, to show you can read. What is it?
2: So we've got a very local ale to us, uh, Moon Gazer, born and bred in, in Hindringham. Um, mm-hmm. We do farm all the way around the brewery, and it's jumper, not one I've. Uh, is it heard
1: your before. barley in that beer?
2: Oh. <laughs> There is a strong chance. We have actually got Marisota growing all the way around their boundary this year, mm-hmm. so maybe next year's ale will be. We'll, we've not had too many food miles and have a good carbon footprint, but, yeah, it they, they could well be.
1: OK, the next duty you have to perform is um, taste it. I'll be Shall doing the opening. Oh,
3: yeah. Like a pro. It
2: looks like a session ale.
3: Oh, I've jumped the gun. That's really good beer. I quite like that. Jump the gun, jumper.
2: Yeah, that's... Um, another one of uh, Moongate's fine ales
3: yeah I like that yeah we
1: give that our, our nine out of ten ten out of ten marking don't we? so we uh, we've been we've been having a little chat me and Tom about um you know farming in Norfolk and in Yorkshire and we've concluded that it's best not to on his case say which county's best
2: got to be diplomatic
1: but largely the, uh, the next you know I mean
2: are we are we optimistic about the future Tom? Absolutely, yeah. No, we have to be there. It's the classic saying: there are some known knowns, there are some known unknowns, and there are lots of unknown unknowns. And, and a lot of that. Did you Latin follow that, everybody? <laughs> um, I've got it written on my, my uh, office wall. No, not really. Um, the, a lot of that is sort of political and macro, uh, and we really can't predict a lot of those things. T- two themes that I think are certain challenges that we're we're aware of, certainly in the arable sector. Policy change will be a reduction of BPS over a period of time, so we've got to be business-savvy and prepare ourselves for the resilience that, that that process is going to bring us. The other thing is the uh, revocation in a lot of products were able to be used. So it was interesting listening to your organic contributor last week, and uh, you know, we and I certainly have the view that we, we, we're, we're moving towards because we're slightly forced and we should be open to hybridised systems in the future. So it's interesting times.
1: There, there will be he, – he, what he was saying last week, Keith – is is going to come through in a lot of... There will be more little units that do these very specialised, very bespoke things. But what happens to the rest of the commercial
2: land? Well, land use, uh, we have to be very much more open-minded about. There appears to be a move towards public good. We still don't really know what the nuts and bolts of public good are going to look like, but it'll be things like access. It'll be things like flowers and providing for the birds and bees and that's all fine if that's what our public wishes to ultimately pay for through some taxation then then that's fine we have to be open-minded about that the western world and this is slightly controversial doesn't care about food enough at the moment they don't mind because you go to a supermarket you can buy whatever you want whenever you want 24 hours a day so self uk self-sufficiency has disappeared do you think we're
3: more interested in cheap food than quality food
2: uh, again, you've had a contributor in here before who would say statistically 90-plus percent of the UK population buys on price. They don't buy on provenance. That's yeah. the reality. He's, the n- a,
1: he's a regular listener, isn't he?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I catch up on my journeys north or journey south.
1: <laughs> right, let's, get, let's get into something that's not farming. Let's, let's talk about something nice and simple. Tory leadership battle.
2: <laughs> none
1: of
3: the above? It's not going to be none of the above, is it? No. Boris is obviously leading it by a country mile at the moment. Not that I'm... I don't know who I choose, actually, to be fair. I mean, Michael Gove, not the most popular of blokes, is he?
2: I don't think you're picking from a very credible bunch, frankly. And I think I just hark back to what Chris Evans said on one of his last Radio 2 shows many months ago. Politics is dead. We need to change what we're doing in this country. That's a very big statement to no, me. The, but the,
1: there was a... Yesterday someone read out that when it gets down to the two people, the choice will be voted on by the Conservative Party, and 97% of them live in southern England, and they're over the age
2: of 60. There there is no one in that house that is truly representative of the population. In your opinion. In my opinion, of course. This is my opinion. (laughs) Short-term, a lot of short-term thinking that goes into our politics these days. There's a lot of concern about vote winning for the next five years to keep yourself in a role. I'm being you know, deliberately provocative myself, but I'm a bit disillusioned with UK politics. How
3: do you think, it, more specifically to you, how do you think they're going to treat you as farmers?
2: Well, I think it depends who gets into number 10, ultimately. I think that whilst there are landowner interests within uh, Westminster, we will be looked upon reasonably favourably. But I think it comes down to public sentiment, a lot of it, again, this short-termism of, of what vi- wins votes. Unfortunately, agriculture probably isn't a vote winner, is it? P- small percentage of population, working population, living population, small percentage of I, GDP. I think one of the best things of
1: Brexit is going to be food shortage.
2: Well, It's I think going to
1: happen, and that is the best yeah. thing that could happen. In to take a long-term view, there's going to be stuff they suddenly can't get very cheaply. And all of a sudden they're going to go, oh, why can't I get... X, y, Z, and, and, and the, where it comes from will suddenly become very clear in their minds. I, I think it will be an opportunity, some of it, somewhere along the line.
2: Uh, there has to be opportunity, and we as uh, operators in, of, of business going forward, are we have to look at the positives, but that's kind of a negative policy driver. What I'd really like to see is positive, po- positive policy drivers. So what do we want to produce? How do we want to produce it? Um, how can we work with government to have a synergistic relationship because it feels a bit too antagonistic.
1: Well, well, let's have long-term thinking on food production, long-term thinking on roads, long-term thinking on rail, long-term thinking on my favourite coastal erosion.
2: Uh, You
3: know, strategy just isn't on the cards, is it? I've just got one last thing, actually, and this is quite an interesting one for a later feature. Andrew's interest in coastal erosion and his theories on flooding in Norfolk is fascinating. There's a whole topic there of conversation. He's frowning now because he knows we're taking the piss, but yeah, it's,
1: uh, it is my favourite subject. There is a I have a map in my office, I've mentioned it in previous podcasts, of where to buy houses in Norfolk. And you go back to Roman times, look where the estuary was, and go a certain line around where the churches are, because they brought the stone in through the estuary, and if you're on the upside of the church, you're fine. If you're on the downside of the church, when the sea comes in, you're not.
2: Well, every day's a school day. <laughs>
1: wise words from a wise old fella. Anyway, th- Tom, thank you so much for coming down this morning and, uh, and sharing your thoughts with us and uh, being able to avoid the Norfolk versus Yorkshire thing, although we know secretly what you really <laughs> believe. Um, no, thanks very much. No, thank you. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewin Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewin Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.